Welcome to the Ocean Cruises podcast hosted by Andy H. This week we are speaking to Kiara and Adam from Sailing Millennial Falcon. Kiara and Adam are two Australians who lived in Melbourne and did the 9 to 5 work life prior to their travels. With a desire to travel the world, they started their journey in Miami and began their hunt for a blue water cruiser and finally found a Tayana Vancouver 42 sailboat. They sailed from the States to the Caribbean and spent two years cruising around and learning about living on the water and how to repair boats in remote places. This year they decided to take on their first ocean passage and sailed all the way from the Caribbean over to the Azores, making it their first Atlantic crossing. They are now planning their next stage of their journey and will definitely contain big ocean crossings and lots of adventures. You can learn more about Kiara and Adam on their YouTube sailing channel, Sailing Millennial Falcon. Uh, we're actually in uh, Broadstead, so southeast England. That's where my family live. We just kind of oh, got nice. like one of those super cheap Ryanair flights, and like yeah. two days before, well, I looked for two days in advance, and it was like thirty-five pounds return. And I was like, yes, we are going to England. That's insanely cheap. Yeah, yeah. So my as well. I thought that would be an expensive flight. Yeah, it was nuts. Strangely, it was really, really weird. Cheap. And like they, of course, the UK has just opened up on the nineteenth, and so it was. Right. What, 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 when did we get it? I think we got not long. Yeah, like thirty first or something. 31st. So like, so everything's just yeah. open. Yeah, like, it was good. It was actually a lot easier, and yeah. everything's really normal again. That's that's yeah. crazy that that's so cheap because I mean they are a set of islands like literally in the middle of the Atlantic. Oh, no. <laughs> that's so strange. <laughs> It's yeah, really it's like right Ponta's got a pretty decent airport though. Ponta Delgada's got like a quite a sizable airport, so it was, yeah. it was a, like an A three eighty we flew out on. So it's a decent size. Oh, well. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, so quite a bit going on. Well, because like we we were just looking. At my, so my wife's coming to meet me in. Um, on the 10th like in a few days so she's driving because we we live in the south of spain so she is driving up to like the i suppose the port area on the mainland and she's getting a ferry over and we were thinking oh is it actually going to be cheaper to um to fly so to do like a 40 yeah i think it's a 40 minute flight with Ryanair, which is like malaga to ibiza that was a hundred and no it was 220 pound a person so that's crazy that you went yeah you came from like the Azores to the uk for that price yeah yeah it was like Pricey. four hours. It was meant to be. <laughs> the flight, yeah. yeah. Obviously, we needed a boat break and yeah. uh, the stars aligned. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 35 you know, quid. We're both. Yeah, but you in a taxi if I was going to the airport now, actually, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. Well, I know. Well, it was significantly cheaper than our, uh, our method to get from Stansted Airport to here. It was just like, it was ridiculous. It was one of those midnight arrival flights, and you're just like, yeah. nothing's going. What am I meant to do? So we slept in the airport for about twelve, about six hours, and then rented a car. Well, why not? I mean, you car already, so it doesn't matter so much. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. So the flight from the Azores to uh, the UK was possibly cheaper than actually getting a taxi back to the place where your parents live. Yeah, hundred percent, exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. We spent like I don't know these prices. Yeah, I don't get it. It's like where's 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 the cost i mean obviously taxis have to run i get i get that but like how, how do they justify doing a flight and charging so little it comes in the luggage that you take uh, that's so yeah i suppose it was it's completely yeah small. just have like the smallest smallest of bags so we packed like two weeks worth of clothes in like these tiny bags 
And then if you want to bring your luggage back, it's like $150 for, for like one suitcase. So that's where they make yeah. their money. <laughs> They've reduced the size of the uh, carry-on bag as well. So yeah. on, on the trip to the um, Balearic, I had a couple of guys come from the UK um, yeah. jump on the trip. They're like my friends who I met in uh, Gibraltar on an OIA course. And um, they had like the tiniest carry-on. It wasn't a backpack. It was, it was like a... Um, like a bomb it, like? it was not. It was not like a handbag. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, just a yeah. little bit fatter. And they were like, "Oh, this is the carry-on bag." I was like, well, "Why? Why is it so small?" And they were like, "Oh, this is the only thing Ryanair will let you bring on now." I was oh, like, "What?" <laughs> so even like reduced the size of the carry-on bag as well. So yeah, that's, that's how they make money. So uh, cool. So how long have you got a break for in the UK then? Uh, I think we have about one week left. Oh, nice. Okay, and is that just like a, a recharge before you get back on the boat? A little bit, yeah. We just sort of yeah. the boat was put to bed really nicely, and the marina was pretty affordable, and it, it wasn't a good weather window for a while to go anywhere. So we're like, well, we're burning through Schengen days, and, and the UK's open, and we've got this cheap flight. Stuff it. Let's yeah. just go and get our bearings and catch up with Kiara's family. Yeah. When was the last time you actually took time off the boat and went to like spend time in Australia or the UK? Uh, it was uh, in March 2020. We like literally came back on the first of March uh, from Australia, and uh, and then on the eighteenth of March they closed the borders in Grenada. So um, so yeah, we like really managed to slip back. Yeah, that's probably the last. Yeah, you were so so lucky. Ten years the way Australia's gone. Oh, I know. Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty serious on on the lockdowns. Actually, I think New Zealand are worse. New Zealand, uh, yeah. I had um, well, my cousin got stuck there. So, oh, it's a crazy situation. She was in, um, so she she was in Australia. She got offered a job in Sydney to stay there. She does the traveling thing all the time. Yeah. Uh, like she works for a year, then she goes traveling for a year. So uh, she got she got offered a job in Sydney, and uh, her visa was up. So they were like, okay, go to New Zealand, literally spend a day there, come back in, and then you can start a new visa process, or you can start like a working visa or something. I'm not yeah. sure how it works. Yeah. So she got to New Zealand, um, and when she so she was hanging out in the airport for like a few hours it was literally in and straight out and then when she got into the airport once she'd been through uh you know checkout or whatever you call it customs um she went to the board and it was like flight cancelled so she's like well what's going on so she went to the um singapore airlines desk because that was the only one that was still open and she was like oh my flight's been cancelled i need to get back because i'm starting a job like next week what's the price for a flight well, like a thousand dollars. Now she didn't have any money. She ran out. She'd been traveling for six months. So she said to me, "Can I have a thousand dollars?" I was like, "Yeah." So I sent it over to her. Twenty. So she paid for it. Twenty minutes later, she goes back to the board to see where the flight is, and that one's cancelled. So it's, no. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And I don't. I don't think she's actually got the money back still. Um, oh, but, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So that, that was as soon as they started the lockdowns, and she didn't even know. Well, yeah, she ended up stuck in uh, New Zealand for I think about four months. Which actually turned out to be, I think, the best four months of her life. So she was in a uh, she was in a hostel in like Auckland for four months. Everybody was locked down. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. So it was just like takeaway food and alcohol for four months with all these twenty year olds. So it's actually yeah, it was okay. Yeah. They probably had like the best lockdown. Yeah, and my understanding as well is that like if it was anything like Australia, it was it was barely even a lockdown. It's like oh, if anything happens, we'll just make you wear a mask. It's like seriously. That's your lockdown. <laughs> yeah, because they were allowed out. Um, like yeah. because they were allowed to go out and get food and they were allowed to go to different hostels. 
Um, but I don't know what it's like now. What's going on in Australia? Is that like complete Nazi-style communists? You can't do anything. Nazi. Well, they, they have this strategy where like as soon as COVID gets out, everything everything clamps shut for like a brief period of time. And then it right. opens up again and, and they trace it all and they get on top of it and then they open up again. So it's this constant slam shut, slam open, slam shut, come open. Yeah. And then the, the interstate borders are always open shut, open shut. Yeah. Um, and they do that like with almost a day's notice. Like that's it. It's just closed. And it's so uh, silly. And it's good that's when crazy. it works because like everybody's like, oh, we've beaten it. We're all walking around without masks. And you know, you talk to your family at home and they're basically business as usual. But then mm. the next week they're all locked down for four days again. And then the next week they're open and everything's fine again. And uh yeah. but it's not a lasting solution, unfortunately. It's not they're not making permanent progress they're just yeah. kind of treading water very successfully yeah. but it's not a permanent solution i mean to be honest like the best type the best or i suppose the most well-off people during like over people on sailboats because it's like yeah. you're literally constantly self-isolated um yeah, that's it. you, you can quite happily but you know what's so annoying it's like from what i've seen with all the lockdowns and stuff it's like when they lock the town down or the city, they want everybody on a sailboat to be locked down as well. Like, what harm is it you just popping over to the next island when you're not even going on land? Yeah. So true. Like, yeah. You don't even need to go. You guys ended up stuck. You guys ended up stuck on one of the islands for quite a long time, eh? Yeah. yeah. So Grenada, when we like yeah. flew back in from our last visit, we they we were actually on the in the yard on the hard, and uh, we had to like really rush them and because we, we kind of got an inkling that the country was going to go into lockdown we're like we've got to get this boat back in the water so we literally i think we put a seacock in about 12 hours before we splashed down and we were not coming back out so we were really you know if the country grinds to a halt and the yard goes into lockdown we might be stuck in a boat in the boat. yard that is closed and having to pay and for having the privilege. To pay the privilege and, and not yeah. be able to leave the boat. So at least if we were in the water, we'd have like plumbing and we could swim and maybe get out of there. But then they insisted that you you wouldn't I can't that they first they said you can't move. No one goes anywhere, you stay on your boat, you can't move. Then they said there was some you had to ask permission to move and only in certain anchorages. And then they reneged on that and then everything got wildly confused. And so basically there was two anchorages and, and no one really was a game to do anything other than that, which is absurd. And everyone was making up their own rules and, like, you spoke to one person, they said this. You spoke to another person, they said this. Yeah. The document said that, like, it was just... Yeah. It just depended on what day you asked and who you had. So it was really, you know, it was a little tough at that time. So it's like, oh... To be honest just, with you, I actually regret being so... So it's a, it's a, like an Australian thing because we, we're a quite a, I guess you call it a nanny state. Australians are very obedient. We don't get pushed. Oh, yeah? Like we don't <laughs> Not take, ones I've met. <laughs> we don't take shit, but we're very like, if someone says like, hey, keep left, get in line, do the right thing, we're like, yeah, sounds fair, and we'll just do it. Um, it's less hassle, really, isn't it, just doing it? Yeah, it's just easy. Yeah. You know, we don't want to make a fuss if it's not, not necessary. And so that was our attitude when we got sort of stuffed around needlessly in yeah, Grenada. the rules. But then we kept seeing all these people just kind of doing whatever they want and not really hurting anyone. Like they would just go out sailing for the day, like in the bay, and then come back. And I was like, well, I want to go sailing, but that's not allowed. But no one's yelling at them. <laughs> and, and so we didn't yeah. do it. 
and uh, I had my brother and sister-in-law, or my sister and my brother-in-law rather, with us at the time, and they kind of got, that's a whole other story, but they kind of got stuck on the boat too while we were all in lockdown. And I really yeah. wanted to like show them the something sailing and something <laughs> yeah. fun, you know, like, you know, as opposed to just being stuck in anchor, which wasn't all bad, especially considering their alternative option. But like we could have gone out for a day sail, we could have gone out and done some fishing or just yeah. there's lots of things we probably could have done without hurting anyone or without really doing anything wrong mm. and not yeah. But instead we were good just little soldiers and we sat there suffering. Anyway, it, we didn't have it that bad relative to a lot of other people, so we can't complain too much. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's weird. I mean, there was definitely people that got caught out worse than others. Um, but, yeah, it just depends on the country. Like, Spain went, like, really severe. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, super severe. Well, I think it was, like, from March or April, um, it was, like, a free month, you're not allowed out of your house type of thing. Wow. So, like, the only, the only reason you could leave was to buy food. Um, and that was only from, like, the big chains. So, like, the small places couldn't open. Um, and going to the clinic, and that's it. Like everything else was short. You just could not leave your house for a long time. I think, um, yeah, for like maybe a month or a month and a half, like they wouldn't even allow people to walk dogs. So, like, I, I don't even know what people did. You know, like if you lived in an apartment and you can walk your dog. Yeah. 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 That yeah, doesn't sound like Grenada as well. It yeah, was, yeah. It was yeah. Dogs on people boats. with dogs yeah, on boats. Um, yeah. Only the supermarkets could open. You're just like, come right. on. And they're like, no, you can't even walk on the beach. It's like, oh, you know, so who runs Grenada? Is it is it like ex US or is it is it Spanish colonial? Like, what is it? I've never been there. It's history. It's uh, I think it's a little bit of an English history. It's a British territory. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think maybe a little. I know bit. America invaded it for like a week once. Um, Not that like. Right. <laughs> it was like a communism thing. I forget the story, but if you look up like America invades Grenada, there is genuinely like. They really did it. There was gunships and all kinds of stuff. It was the shortest thing yeah. ever. But there was a communist thing going on there or something. There was a scare. It was all when that was going on right. years ago. Um, but I don't know what they're oh, okay. Considering that we were there for so long, we should really know more about it. I mean, they're <laughs> in the they're in <laughs> Long time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, right. So you're back in a good place now. Um, yes. All right. What, what brought on this trip to I, I mean yeah a, an Atlantic crossing I suppose but what what brought on the, this whole thing because you had so many options where you were um specifically like to go to the Pacific or even just to to cruise more of the Caribbean but what made you want to come over to the Azores <laughs> I think I might let Adam answer this one because <laughs> he does have a vendetta he had a vendetta well, against the Atlantic Ocean first, so the first right yeah so obviously you, you may or may not know we had We've just completed our first, second attempt and first successful crossing. So we had a failed attempt. Yes. It was quite a disaster. And so ever since then, I've just, like, I, I didn't want to, I couldn't let it go, really. I had to do it. Otherwise, I just never, I couldn't put it to bed. So every single thing we did since that point was either getting the boat ready, getting us ready, or waiting for the right time to go to get it done. Cool. Um, but why we did it the first time was sort of like, where we started in Florida, if we go to the Pacific and, you know, go all down, sort of downwind that way, it's a long way to come back to do the Met yeah. or anywhere <laughs> in the corner of the world. 
And so initially our logic was, well, you sort of caught at a crossroad, look right, look left, which way do I go? Um, so instead of heading home and, and, and just, you know, shortening the journey, it's like, well, we're never going to be in a better position to cross over to the Med in this boat unless we go all the way around. Um, and so we, we went for it and then it didn't go well and then that was it. We had to do it from then on. There's no moving <laughs> past that. Um, and now we have yeah. it and we're sort of like, well, what, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, initially we were like, yeah, we're going to travel the world. And, uh, and then that, you know, that failed crossing uh, kind of put a bit, of, a bit of a dampener on that plan. And so our new plan was, let's cross the Atlantic. Let's just achieve that. And now we've done it. We're just like, all right, well, that was our, our big old sailing plan. So now what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like over time, everything, like we, you know, when we first started, we didn't expect, you know, if you had told me I'd be on a sailing podcast and making videos about your journey and all, this, all these things, when I was sitting in my cubicle in Melbourne five years ago, I would have laughed in your face and said, you know, lay off the lunchtime beers. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, all these things have sort of come to fruition and the, the plans have, have significantly evolved and changed and, and our goals have changed and everything's changed and they, they change every day. Um, so now we're just enjoying the ride, trying to, trying to make the most of it and trying to, to be the best whatever we are that we can be. Yeah, I mean, it's a learning experience. You know, it's about learning your own capabilities and, and what you're capable of. Um, yeah. what, what did you actually set out to do? Like when you started saving all the money, I mean, what, what was the initial idea? I doubt it is what it is now, but uh, like what yeah. was it back then? What were you thinking of? I think that, so I think there's either two, two lots of people, maybe there are a few more, um, who want to start out sailing and one of them are like you want to you want to start sailing when you're retired and you want to do it for like 10 years 20 years or something like that and then another group of people who we've met just want to do it for a bit of a sabbatical you know they want to do it for like a year and a half or something um, just trial it while they're like in their 30s or, or late 20s 30s and that was our our thing as well we yeah. honestly just thought well I honestly just thought it would be a year and a half and we would poodle our way around the world totally just circumnavigate you know because that's so easy a year and a half and then you know yeah. just, just knit back to australia you know sell the boat there uh, you know get double the money for the boat and you know life would just go on as usual <laughs> so that was the grand plan was to just circumnavigate you know in a year and a half um obviously things have changed a lot since then uh, I don't know. I think I think nowadays, like it's more of a nowadays, it's more of a kind of lifestyle, isn't it? Really, like once you live on a boat, you're like, why do I want to go back to the hustle Very and bustle of, yeah. of land again? Yeah. The convenience of land, it's like, whew, <laughs> what are all these massive shops doing? Even now, we're on land, and we look at you know, you go to the supermarket and you buy your little ADP bag of lettuce and you know, <laughs> tomato, and you're, you're looking around and you're sort of just like, I, I don't know. All these people. Some days I'm. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just, I shake my head and I'm like, I'm really vindicated in my life choices right now. Like, I feel really good yeah. about the way we've chosen to go. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. Sometimes it's hard. Like, sometimes you really just want an ADP bag of lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the sacrifices are, well, I think really worth it. Yeah. I mean, we only plan to be out here for a year and a half, but I'm, I'm still pretty glad that we're out here. Three years yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> 
do, do you see, like, I mean, when you think about your future, not in terms of like the actual plan, because it's difficult to make plans now, but do you see yourself, do you see any versions of yourself not, you know, traveling the world? No, not really. Uh, it's that's really, nice. Yeah, you know, it's I've really never strange. thought about that. That's a good question. I don't often think yeah. about like, I guess in a way I do, or we do, but it's sort of subconscious. You sort of fixate it on like next month or next year. And then it's mm. just the extrapolation of that. But it's uh, never actually stopped and be like, well, who do you want to be in 10 years? And yeah. what does that look like compared to what it used to? And you're right, mm. actually, there is no version of that story that isn't doing something like this. In saying yeah. that, we have just finished watching uh, Jeremy Clarkson's Farm thing <laughs> on, on Amazon. And I'm like, oh, the baby. Jeremy Clarkson's so Farm. Cute. Oh, wouldn't it be fun to have some bees and stuff and grow your own veggies? So. If I've ever thought about like Jeremy Clarkson as a farm, yeah, apparently he does. Yeah, apparently yeah. He's got a farm. yeah. I know, right? right? He just had like acres and acres of farmland, and so he just decided to take over the farm and make an Amazon show about it. And of course, through Jeremy's Clarkson, it like it was very popular. Chaos. Yeah, everybody just watched it straight away. <laughs> but anyway, like oh. I, don't know, I think if I had plans to go back on land, it would be something that's really like. Do yourself. Yeah, like... Yeah, like, it's got to be off-grid type of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. And obviously travelling has to be involved too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think if it, if it wasn't part of our plans to, like, go, you know, just go places on a boat and explore, I think I would probably go with, like, some type of homestead for a certain part of the year and then, like, travelling around in, like, a really decent van or, like, a converted school bus or something like that. Um, yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. Yeah, we do the same with, like, yeah. the homestead. We always talk about, like, yeah. Why do people at home have power bills? You know, you could just get solar and get the water. And get, you know, all <laughs> yeah. these things that boat people really just—it's it's the path of the course. But like, yeah. you could take all that home. You could totally do all that at home. Yeah. It, you know, I was having a conversation with my um, with my friends who who I was just spending time with, and we we were just talking about how much cheaper it is to live on a boat or how much cheaper it is to you know to live off grid or whatever and they were they were talking about their council tax bill their electricity bill their gas bill their water bill i was like like free out of those four things you don't even need to pay for you just get completely free exactly yeah, so it. true yeah. i was just having that conversation the other day with um with my aunt as well and i was like why would you do that <laughs> yeah. like i just it, it's just insane it yeah. blows my mind yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so basically, every version of your future has has got the boat in it somehow. A boat yeah. or your boat? What do you think? Was is there a possibility for a change or an upgrade? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would. I'd, I'll be first to say I'd love to have more places to put bodies. Like one of one of the things I enjoy about sailing is like sharing it with people, and we just don't have anywhere to put bodies on our boat. If I had a boat with, uh, yeah, six beds. I'd probably do my bit, and the boat was up to the task. <laughs> I would, yeah. uh, I probably would feel like do my best to fill the beds, like for the better part of yeah, half the year or whatever, whatever's yeah. convenient with the plan. But yeah, that's part of why, like, what I like the feedback I get from the videos is there's like people are coming along for the ride. It'd be nice if they really could yeah. <laughs> come along for the ride. <laughs> I mean, do, do you think is is your boat made for like two to four people? I know it's made for two parties because you've got two cabins. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. It's, it's made for a small family, more or less, to like cruise yeah, around. I think that's yeah. it. It's, I mean, the, all the Tayanas are built semi-custom, um, mm. or actually completely custom. They're built totally bespoke 
And so no two Tayanas are identical. And are, uh, most of them are built very similar to ours, but particularly the center cockpits have these beautiful big bedrooms in the back, which is common to most center cockpits. But because of the way the, the sort of the V-berth and the front head and the galley are laid out, there's just there's just not a lot of room for other people. And as most boats, the V-berth becomes the, the tool shed. And so yeah. once you factor all that in, there's really nowhere to put anyone else for any long period of time unless you're going to have piles of gear in the hallway or, you know, somewhere where yeah. you want to keep them for a long time. And while I've never tried to do it, the, I've, I hear that the V-berth is not a nice place to sleep when you're underway. So Oh, God, okay. no. <laughs> yeah. It's horrendous. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've tried a couple of times and I thought I'm actually better off sleeping in the cockpit. So <laughs> yeah, just napped outside rather than napping there. Yeah, the constant banging, yeah. yeah. What, what made you um, want to not specifically pick that boat, but I know when you were looking for a boat, you did want to get, you know, like a more traditional blue water cruiser. I mean, for someone who's never really travelled around on a sailboat before, that's quite unique. I mean, did you have somebody in your ear, like, telling you, right, get a 50-year-old boat, get a 50-year-old boat or a heavy boat, or where did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, it's really strange that you say that because, like, to be honest, Adam just kind of said to me I was sitting at work, like, non-stop computer access, non-stop internet access, and uh, and he just said, yeah, yeah, we, we want this kind of boat. Yeah, this is probably the best for this, and this is probably the best for that. So I just constantly just would be on, like, yachtworld.com and searching different boats that fitted those criteria. But, I mean, actually having that criteria, I dare say it's because Adam was maybe, Adam is uh, an engineer. And so I dare say he, he probably looked it up and was like, I can't have this it. is the best structure and blah, blah, blah. I just followed the bouncing ball, really. Like, I, 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 um, I, I, I kind of just wrote down where in the world I wanted to go. And, then, mm. and that, for me, that was anywhere. Mm. And like, in case it's not evident from my prior vendetta against the North Atlantic, I don't like to be turned away. And so I basically wanted the, I wanted a boat that we could grow into. I didn't want to get a boat that I would start feeling bold and being confident in our, in our abilities and then realise that the boat might not be up to the task. Um, yeah. So I wanted a boat that was able to take us anywhere and I wanted to grow into it and learn to handle it and build it up over time so that when all the pieces fell together, we could go anywhere. Um, mm. And I did, I did, I mean, obviously we wanted to cross it, like we were going to buy it in Florida or the EU. And so we were either going to cross the Atlantic, the Pacific or both or just Pacific. Either way, there was a lot of, a blue water crossing was in our future. So I was like, all right, well, what's a good boat for that? And I sort of, you know, I just started reading and made my own assertions. I wanted something overbuilt, something sort of indest not indestructible, but something tough, something that I wouldn't have to be afraid yeah. that it was going to fall apart. And then the more I read, the more I learned. And even to this day, in case the theme isn't evident, it's a theme in our content. I'm sort of, I guess I'm on a one-man quest to reclaim the title of Blue Water Boats and put it back on. <laughs> Back on the, the, the crown, if you will, because it pisses me off. Yeah. It, gets, it gets any boat with a life raft suddenly gets the blue water badge slapped on its chest. Um, mm. So I'm, yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess, I went down that rabbit hole and I've just kept going. And I'm very, I think we landed on a pretty awesome boat, not by accident, but I didn't quite know just how rare and 
well thought of the Tayana 42 Vancouver center yeah, cockpit was yeah, sure. until we put her in the spotlight and people said, we can't find one. I want your boat. I hate you. I can't find one. Mm. Um, so I think we got lucky in a way. And, uh, and there were a bunch of other options that we could have taken that I'm sure we would have been equally as happy with, but I'm very happy with what we ended up with. I think our budget as well, like we just couldn't go crazy. And for, for like an ocean going boat, what was um, the budget? How much how much cash did you have? Uh, I think we wanted to spend less than about sixty thousand Australian. Um and so all the money in the world we had was eighty thousand Australian dollars. Um it's like forty thousand pounds, isn't it? Something like that? Yeah. No, yeah. Forty thousand. Wasn't that eighty thousand US? No, Australian. Australian. And, and we had like twenty grand to live off oh, for the did, duration. Yeah. And then we spent yeah. we spent forty seven US on the boat which is about 63 right 60 so that yeah. kind of and then we had to fix up the boat and every basically every repair we did on the boat after that was eating to the cruising kitty which rapidly dwindled uh to be honest with you if the youtube like we knew very quickly that if actually there was a time when we genuinely did have to go home we were starting to yeah. we had to liquidate a whole bunch of um like of our stuff starting to we were selling things that we weren't using like we were done um, we were treading water big time. We, we sold everything we had um, at home, all like any uh, shares, any any of that stuff that we might have had for yeah. a rainy day <laughs> that we weren't ready to part with. That was all gone. Yeah. And um, I think that was just yeah. after our first failed Atlantic crossing, and we were like, "Wow, okay, well, this isn't good." You know, not only have we failed across the Atlantic, <laughs> we have no more money yeah. left. Our boat's a lemon. What the hell are we oh. gonna do? And I. Okay, well, we were like so close to packing it in at that stage. I think we just yeah. like soaked downstairs for about a week and we we're like, okay, let's just regroup, yeah. let's just get back and just get to safety out of Hurricane Zone. But yeah, I, uh, I think, uh, yeah, budget definitely played a big role in, in what boats we could get as well. <laughs> I mean, you did really well. I mean, obviously, you've done a lot of work to it and you have paid a lot of attention, and I know you've had like issues with the boat and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to get where you are now from like where you started off, like it's been a pretty crazy journey for you to like, <laughs> you yeah. guys have made so many videos that I've watched and I'm just, I'm like, oh my God, those poor people. Like, I've never <laughs> <seen> <laughs> no, like, so many. I didn't feel like it was that bad, but actually now that you say that, we've just come here and we've caught up with Kiara's uncle and auntie. And even we're chatting to them, it's the first time we've caught up with them, and they're saying in the video, they're like, oh, I felt for you back in the day. You know, you had these bags under your eyes, and I could see you <laughs> hanging out, and Kiara was crying, and everything was going wrong. I was yeah. like, geez, maybe we put it on a little thick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I swear. Like, what, what, so, um, oh, yeah, I said, I said on email, like, my wife isn't really into the sailing uh, stuff on, on YouTube. Um, Basically, what I do, I do my work. So I sit at home, I do my work, and then I put on like the sailing stuff in the background because that's what I enjoy doing. So she's not that into it, but she really, really likes you guys. Um, like the uh, the cutest people ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it basically started off because she ended up watching like a couple, and she was like, "Oh my god, they're so unlucky." I was like, "Yeah, like they're having a pretty shit run, these guys." And I th and I think it was like your prop fell off yeah. offshore. Yeah. Or something. Times. Or, times. Yeah, no, that's terrible. <laughs> that's so <laughs> Come on. Yeah, yeah, it kept on happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Yeah, pretty um, what was, what was the reason for that? Did you figure it out? 
yeah, looking back now, it's you know, it's one of those things like you you kick yourself with twenty twenty hindsight. Do you know and, what it was? Yeah. The, so it. the great the engine it was grossly misaligned. The transmission coupling right. nut was old and had been reused many many times with no thread lock or anything on it. Um, okay. The, the engine mounts were shot, hence the misalignment. And there was uh, we had a wind a massive windmilling propeller fixed blade, right? Um, which we didn't lock while we were sailing because the manufacturer to go the vibration as well. Yeah. yeah. So what it was what was happening? We're sailing along at six knots. The fella's going, woof, woof, woof. and that misalignment is just working that nut, which is not up to task anyway, and not talked up to correct spec. It's just working its way off, and that's what it kept doing. And I look back yeah. now, and I'm like, well, yeah, that'd be the first thing I'd tell someone to check. Their pop front shaft falls off, you know, and I, but I didn't really know what I was looking at. And I've got to give myself a little bit of slack because we were, uh, first time it happened, we're halfway down the Thorny Passage, crash land in Puerto Rico. We've got hurricane season to contend with. We're not allowed to stay in Puerto Rico. We've got to move. We've got to go. So, and we couldn't find any parts. I can't, I can't stop, pull the engine, change the mounts. Oh, and we're broke at the time. You know, like, so all these, you know, all these. That things, always makes it harder, doesn't it, when you have yeah. no money? Yeah, it doesn't help. Money to buy so things, yeah. We just had to just keep, keep moving, really. We just had to keep yeah. fixing it, moving, and fixing it, and moving. Um, I do, I guess, with now yeah, with, with hindsight, I probably, I do wish I had have uh, changed the mounts and done all of that a lot sooner than we did. Um, but it didn't. It's yeah. one of those things. It was completely asymptomatic. It didn't manifest itself at all until it falls off. There was no vibration. No there vibration, was no noise. Like yeah, that's crazy. Ordinary. It doesn't because our shaft's so long and it's supported at so many different points. It doesn't. Mm. It doesn't do anything. Like it just—it's literally like it comes out the back of the keel, and then the stuffing box and the cutlass bearing and all that in the deadwood, and then it's just propeller. There's no like, there's no P bracket. There's no it's, there's no exposed shaft other than about that much. Yeah. It just so it's supported at both ends, and so you can't really tell when it's vibrating. And it passed all the tests. Like it's great. I don't know. Still yeah, it makes you wonder how it could become so badly misaligned. Oh, actually, oh, if the engine mounts were shot, then yeah, that's probably yeah. what the misalignment was. Yeah. It wasn't actually the propeller. Yeah, okay. That's it. Yeah, so the so water bracket. It can, yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. The water yeah. maker was engine driven, and it had been leaking like a sieve throughout God knows how many years of previous owners. And we never really got it working. We got it sort of working briefly in the like in its last days, and we maybe we might have made. 60 gallons of water with it its whole life um but it had been leaking all over the engine and down onto the mounts and trashing it so oh no rusted and seized and totally trashed yeah same for some of the diesel lines that had been going they'd been leaking diesel on there but as brand new boat owners like we just did not know oh to God. check this stuff <laughs> and the surveyor that we that we yeah. or that we sorry, we didn't buy the, the surveyor that we used we were just like, oh, yeah, he seems to be, he's a really lovely person. He's, like, really nice and helpful. But he didn't, he wasn't, like, strict and telling us, like, no, as future boat owners, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem. He just kind of, like, yeah. tapped the stick a few times and was like, oh, I'm yeah. done. Um, he checked all the right things. It's just you kind of need a surveyor to tell you the significance of their findings in, in a, like, be like, oh, well, that's not broken now, but you, that's on the way out and that's going to bite you later. Yeah, really get that. That should be in there. 
Yeah. Do you know like a yeah. like an immediate, then a six month, then a one year and a five year? They should. They should. Yeah. Did, did he not bring up like the engine mounts or? What? Uh, no, no, was no. it misaligned? Did you not notice any of that? And you know what else as well? Um, so when we arrived in Puerto Rico, uh, we decided to check our chain plates. Yes, I know, probably should have checked it before even buying it. One of them was two thirds of the way uh, cracked through and we'd just sailed from Florida all the way to Puerto Rico. And we didn't know this, obviously the surveyor, it was behind like some woods so he didn't check it. And it was just yes, another one of those things that we were like, oh my God, what is wrong with us? Yeah. <laughs> it's just us. Which going back to my Georgian <laughs> boat, actually, this all actually this is a beautiful way to tie the whole story together, <laughs> which was you what I, it. these are the kind of things that I, I like I, I knew they were going to come up eventually. I didn't know they were going to come up quite so viscerally, <laughs> quite so quickly, but I knew that I needed a boat that would like take a beating from us and keep going. And so, it, like, when we had these, we, so we sailed a 1,000 miles with a football-sized scrape out of our keel from a hard grounding and a chain plate with a crack 90% of the way through it. We sailed a 1,000 miles with 27 knot days, like, down the Thorny Passage to windward, which is an ass-kicking, everyone knows. And the boat just took it. <laughs> just took it. And it was six months yeah. before we hauled out and fixed um, the keel. And then it was... We only fixed the chain. We fixed the chain plate in Puerto Rico, so it's like that's why I knew I wanted a boat like that because I knew that if I bought a battle axe, even if I screwed up, she mm. would take a fair bit, do a fair bit of the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah, still be able to take it. Exactly. You know, when you say it like that, like it sounds very much like we've mistreated this boat. So no wonder it's kind of kicked back and punished us for yeah, it. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> we, we owed it a lot. It's actually interesting. I look back Oops. and I'm like, the boat really has looked after us. Like, to, to, like we have. Yeah, like, for sure. If we, like that hard grounding we had, if we, and our, it was bad. Like we, like Kiara fell Day one the out the yard. We didn't even get out the first lot. Yeah. And we were, we were in eight feet of water and we just hit something. And, uh, I often make the anecdote that if we were in a bolt-on keel boat that was perhaps old and the bolts were not up to task, that, like, given our visa constraints and budget constraints, there may be no sailing colonial fabric. We might have gone home. Yeah, there could have been the trip over. Ordered boat that we can't afford to fix now that's on the hard and we're hemorrhaging money because of that fact. Our visa's up and we have to go and do something. Like, that would have been the first domino in many dominoes that might have just sent us home with our towel between our legs. So, yeah. So you made yeah, the right choice. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you definitely made it. Well, yeah, I mean, for a couple of newbies, for sure, because, um, I mean, even basic stuff, like, you know, the engine was misaligned, the mounts weren't working. When, you, when you've got a hull that is so, so strong and so thick, I, I bet there is, like, some level of compensation in there. You know, if you were dealing with, like, a little thin fiberglass thing and the engine was wobbling all over the place, that could, yeah. the vibration could cause a problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it says how thick your hull is the fact that you know you've got that propeller spinning around that's misaligned and you can't even hear anything or feel anything like yeah. it's just yeah. on boat. <laughs> yeah, we, we well, there's, well, there's two positives out of it. So, the next the next boat you get, you'll probably get all that stuff done sooner rather than later. And then also, there'll be a lot of people who've watched all your misfortunes <laughs> and learned yeah. lessons. So you probably helped a lot of people. Yeah. I hope. I hope that there's a whole bunch of surveyors in like Florida and well, all over where people watch our videos 
who are so sick of hearing, I saw on Millennial Falcon that the surveyor missed this and so you need to check. <laughs> and just have the most difficult customers ever because yeah. they've watched our misfortune and now they've got a list of things they will demand to oh, have yeah. When we buy our, our next boat, I swear that we will probably be more vigilant. Oh. Our poor surveyor, he won't... He'd be better than the surveyor. Exactly, he yes. Yeah. Like, he, he'll just write down, like, only 20 things and we'll be like, yeah, but what about the other 50? We're going to be yeah, horrible yeah. to him. <laughs> well, if you, if you fancy stopping doing YouTube, you could definitely move into surveying then in that case. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe quite thorough on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, future so, like, projects. <laughs> Have you ever thought about, I mean, like disregarding timelines or whatever, but have you ever thought about what a potential next vote could be? Because I imagine it would be something similar to what you've got, because you're not going to want to go production, you know, yeah, light displacement yeah. after after what you've got. No. We're really torn, I think. What's the budget? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your budget, I suppose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. It's. Uh, we know that old boats require a lot of work. In saying that, I do get a bit of a kick out of, um, like, it's a little bit of a hobby, I guess, is, like, boat, uh, improving the boat and making it better. Um, but in saying that, you know, crawling around the engine bay, I don't particularly want to do all the time. So I'm not against yeah, the boat. Once a month. Yeah, but, like, maybe having a newer boat would just be would just be really nice, a nice break. And I, I, I don't know, I wouldn't know what to do with all the time, though, if I had a newer <laughs> boat. I'd have so much time on my hands. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think if you put a newer boat, it would be it would be bigger. I think purely for to have like a few people to come with us to kind of crew with us to sail with us, just some more space. Um, yeah. I think it would be along the same era, like maybe thirty years old or something. We have a forty year old boat now, maybe slightly newer, slightly more modern. I probably I wouldn't have a double ender again. Um, yeah, I, I don't have anything against them, but the Upsides for me, it, like uh, they don't outweigh the, the. Not that there are downsides, but I just wouldn't limit myself to a double ender, and I, I'd like to try something with uh, easier access. Yeah, um, stern um, cockpit or something. Yeah, a swim platform maybe or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely will always have an encapsulated keel. Uh, yeah. I could be persuaded to try one of those new swinging keel types, but I'm very I'm not across them at all, so more research required. Um, I think we could potentially go to aluminium, but yeah. it really does depend on where we want to take it. Um, you know, we've only kind of sailed yeah. around the Caribbean, and I feel like uh, this boat was, is possibly way overbuilt just for some Caribbean sailing. <laughs> we probably could have done with a significantly yeah, yeah, doubt, less yeah. boats just for the Caribbean, but obviously we wanted to go further. Um, I don't know. We've uh, we've we've had a few kind of we've uh, looked at a few boats, no, not in person, always on like yacht worlds. You know, when you just kind of go on there and go, oh, "What's the world doing? What's 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 up for sale here?" Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we've, uh, we've yeah. online. <laughs> always window shopping. Every yeah, time window I, shopping. Every time I see a new, like a boat that's nice, I'm like, "What do you think that is?" And I'm, even to the point of going up and asking them, like, "What is this boat? Can I have a look?" Yeah. <laughs> um, what do we yeah, like? I like a Taswell 47. Yeah. I quite like that one. Um, it's got like a cool Oh, deck nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've actually yeah. mentioned that one in the video. That's That one ticks a lot of the boxes that we, we were enjoying. Yeah. Um, I've eyed up one of those. Uh, is it Albert Ovnies? The, the 
um, aluminium. I don't know that. Uh, you know, the, they're like an aluminium French-made boat. I have a feeling it's a swing heel. Um, so I'm intrigued by them. I've never really gone on one. I've never had anything. I've never seen anything other than just the advert. But I look at I look at you know the pictures and I'm like, oh, that does look pretty cool. So I'd be intrigued by that one. <laughs> I mean, if I win the lotto tomorrow, I will probably buy a Kraken 50, which is sort of right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. yeah, if you want the lottery, yeah. That's basically yeah. That's basically just a Tayana for the 21st century, like a modern day. 21st century Tayana. Um, yeah, they're like they're, built for they're like no 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 detail spared. It, it's uh, they're they're probably my dream boat at this at this point. We actually uh, met the. Well, do you, do you not like the island packets? Because they're like island packets are basically an old boat that are made new. Yeah, I don't I don't mind them. I I they're they're on the wrong side of the performance line for me. They're yeah. they're slightly too tankish. Um, mm. When you, you know, when, when you struggle to get, and this is all hearsay because I've not sailed one, so, you know, but just off by the numbers, they're a little bit sluggish for me. I feel they're lacking in canvas. Yeah, they're thick. Yeah. Um, whereas, and we're not, we're, we're, we get, we get moving, but in like, and with light air sails, like an asymmetric or whatever, we probably won't have any problems. But, uh, you know, we're on, we're close to the line. Like if we've got sort of, seven knots of breeze and it's not at a favorable angle and the seas aren't cooperating then the iron topsails are coming on or we're yeah, just yeah. around like a cork whereas other boats might not have to wait you know they'll have a little bit more leeway yeah there's, there's just advantages and disadvantages to every type of boat i don't think there's a perfect one like when when we were my um, my friend is in like a beneteau first 34 i think or beneteau first 33 it's yeah. basically a really light fiberglass boat, very well built. Mm. It, it can do five knots in like seven knots of apparent. Um, wow. It's crazy. They're so so quick. Like they yeah. can, oh, it's, it just doesn't take any wind to move it. Yeah. Um, not very nice downwinds in you know rough seas. <laughs> you know, you're really going to get thrown around. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I was never really interested in speed or like ease of sailing because for me it's more about comfort. But then. You know, like sailing alongside somebody who's in a better tow first and they get there like three hours quicker than you. It's like, right, oh, I can see yeah. the advantage now going a bit faster or having something that can move faster. True. Makes you tempted, doesn't it? it? Does, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. to, uh, like, if you really were just uh, yeah. you know, going to go around the Mediterranean or, or like um, bay hopping or racing or something like that, like, that'll be so cool. Definitely. You're just like, go on, let's get there fast. Yeah, just shoot over there. Because I, I, to be honest, I mean, it, it depends where you are. Like, I, I know you've probably learned a little bit about like the Mediterranean already, and you've probably researched it quite a lot. Because when when you were on email, you were like, "The trick to sailing the Med is, is just don't." Um, yeah. or, or you, you can't <laughs> quite a lot of times. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, like coming down here, we had um, we had like four days of sailing, which was basically four days of motoring. Um, yeah. Where did you just, come from? Uh, yeah, that's just. Oh, just uh, so closer to Gibraltar, and um, we were just doing like we we just day sailed it over to Ibiza. Um, so uh, yeah, that that was just motoring every single day. I think we got like four four hours of sailing in. Maybe my friend on the Beneteau first got like maybe twelve. Um, so yeah, if you are going to come in this way, just make sure you have got your engine mounts changed. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably going to be needed. <laughs> the asymmetrics on the deck, just in case. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah, 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 it's why definitely our fun situation. Why we're erring away from the med, at least in this boat, a little bit. Like why I said, oh, the trick to sailing in the med is don't. And perhaps I should have said the trick to sailing up my boat in the med is to not do it because it's just not what she was built for. And like she's got big tanks and a pretty good engine, but there's, I don't enjoy motoring. And so it's like, if yeah. I can go sailing elsewhere and like keep a chip, you know, keep doing things that I enjoy, that, that sort of trade off is, uh, all of that motoring and all of that rushing around, dodging the visas and whatnot, if you weigh that up against another ocean crossing or two and, mm. and you know, more, just more achievements and more miles under the keel, that's what I enjoy and that's what I dine out on and like making videos about and enjoy doing and get experience from. Mm. So it's like, uh, yeah. I'll catch it next time around. <laughs> In saying that, we have undenied considerably about where to go from here. You know, we were just mentioning where, what the hell do we do now? Um, and, and yeah, like the Med and the Balearic Islands where you are, oh, so many people have said that they are beautiful, that they're amazing. So it has been very, very tempting to just, you know, just go in there and just check it out. But yeah. I need a lot. I mean, the thing is, it's like if, if you're in the Azores and you're there, um, you would be sailing past the Med if you were going to any other destination anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. The Balearics is like the first stop. I think it's only like three days from the entrance to the Med to get there. Yeah, I think it's about three days. So gonna have to it'll be crazy not to try it. When we say sailing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's three days of something, you know, <laughs> using, using wind or diesel, one, one of the two. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you're going straight past it. So it would make sense to check it out. Like the thing that, I mean, the thing about cruising in the Med is it's not going to be fantastic sailing, but you can do pretty much the entire thing almost with day sails. Um, yeah. And there is always something to see along the day sail, or there's a few anchorages. There's, there's a couple of routes that, you know, you might need to do maybe an overnighter or two overnights or something like that. Like yeah. if you're going from like the Balearics to Sardinia or Sardinia to Greece, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there is a lot of older boats here, like, heavy yeah. heavy older boats i mean i was i was just um just when sunset was going down i just got the binoculars out and i was looking around the anchorage and the majority of the boats are like 50 years old really that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. she can do it yeah like, she, she could do it she's certainly got a good motor and she might as well it's just like fingernails on a chalkboard to me it's adam's capacity <laughs> that stops us from going into the met it's just yeah. that he he hates it he will stay upstairs He's gone to the stage once where he actually had to walk all the way up to the bow, sit on the bow for like a few hours in order to just stop the noise of the engine in his ears. Like he's just, he hates it. Well, you know what it is, is that every rattle, when your propeller shaft has fallen off oh. three times, every rattle, every vibration, every tick, and as I said, it's asymptomatic. So every time you're motoring, you're like, is this the time? Then it let's go. Are we, <laughs> is this the day that it happens again? Is have we found? You know, there's no warning. There's no proof that we've beaten it. There's no nothing. But when we're sailing, the prop is you can't spinning. hear it. it it's well, the prop's <laughs> It's not spinning. It's non-existent. The drag is negligible. It will uh, not fall off. It cannot fall off when we're sailing. See what I have to work <laughs> with. Go travel the world. <laughs> you just need the perfect boat <laughs> yeah uh, okay. it's just like we because we've done so much, I've, I've never motored so much in this boat um 
But uh, yeah, I think, I think it was just probably a few months ago. I just came to terms with it. I was just like, oh, listen, if you're going to get somewhere, you have to use the engine because I'm, I'm not waiting around for like four days to do like a day sale. What's the point? Yeah. And um, I I just did uh, like the engine, oil, the coolant. So I think it's only done like 60 hours, but I literally did 60 hours in like three days. So it's <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just going to go for everything and, and just change everything up. And it's like there, there was a noise that was happening in, in the cabin and I could not figure it out. I was like, where is this noise coming from? It sounds electrical. And it bang, it was doing my head in for days. Turns out it was like, you know, when you got your, your oven door that opens, there's like a metal piece that flips over it yeah. to stop it from. Yeah. It was that. I was panicking yeah. for three days. I was like, the amount of times I had my head in the engine bay, I was like, what makes this noise? Oh, no. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, there's a little metal thing that covers the cooker. I don't even use the cooker. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, I opened it once to make a pizza and that was it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it was quite, quite irritating. I'm going to say that reminds me of our oven literally for two years on the gimbal it's been like every way all the time and I I swear I have tried every single thing to stop that I never and then hear it. so on our passage uh to the Atlantic Adam goes oh that's a bit annoying that noise isn't it I wonder if some WD-40 would fix that and I was like you know what, Adam I have tried that for two years I've stuck with it it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Sprays it on there and the freaking thing immediately stops. <laughs> After two years of me trying, he just sprays some WD-40 on there, immediately yeah. stops. Oh, I'm Did so annoyed. Did you not try that? Two years. Yes, I obviously She's tried it <laughs> at some stage. I've increased on it. I've, tried, oh, I've just tried every single thing apart from actually taking the oven off of the gimbal. And yeah. Adam tries it and it works. That happens to us a lot. Two years. Oh. <laughs> so you put WD forty on the bits that were actually squeaking, not just around the bits that were squeaking. I probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, I probably like the WD forty inside. Shut up! Probably explains why Luke's tasted like WD forty for such a long time as well. Maybe. <laughs> so, in, in, in terms of the boat that you've got now, like you've you've had a good enough time to learn about it and get used to it and you've really figured it out as well because you've had to change so many things and you've had to do upgrades and you've had a few bits you know not go your way um what are the what are the positives and negatives like if you were going to talk to somebody about you know your exact type of boat what would you say to them uh, what to look out for what's good what's bad oh i feel like we're still learning about our boat and other boats so we can only obviously talk about our boat um mm-hmm. I'll start. How about if For I sure. start with yeah, a few things start, that kind yeah. of annoy me, yeah. um, and and that are also good as well. You know how it's always easy <laughs> to, to nitpick than it is to oh, yeah, say. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know. So okay, what are oh, geez, all right? You say so whatever comes to mind. Yeah. All right. So because we have a centre cockpit, it is so hard to do up the sail bag. I cannot tell you. I literally oh, yeah. have jumped into the sail bag in order to actually do the zip up so many times. It's not easy. <laughs> Yeah, really? Yeah. Just the way that, like, it goes to buff you. So, you yeah, know, you can go around the bimini. Around the bimini. Oh. It's and the so way the combing is, it's very, like, hard to, it's a precarious climb to get to the, to the middle, mid-bo
It's like half an hour later. I've tried to put like a really long piece of string on the zipper. Yeah, we've got a little pulley system now that does it, but of course, it never falls perfectly. It always gets caught. So you're like poking the sail with the with the boat hook and like stuffing it into the bag. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. It's fairly trivial. I wouldn't necessarily say don't buy a boat purely because it's going to. It's hard to do up the mainsail bag. That's silly. Um, well, I've got yeah. a question with regards to that. When that is an old boat, and old boats generally didn't come with sail bags, no, so they may not have even thought about that when they made it. Yeah, they didn't. They probably didn't. And like even our um, like our boom initially, it's been raised at some point in its life, and I don't even think that the Tayanas were really intended to have a bimini. Like I think it was yeah. literally you reach up and the boom is like yeah. right there, like there's yeah. a like um which I, I don't know if we didn't need all the solar i probably would prefer to have that configuration and you know yeah. kiara being the, the, <laughs> i was just summer. about to say if i also wasn't a ginger <laughs> who need a change um, we might be okay so i think you're right like i don't think that was at all a consideration um, when it was designed yeah, yeah it's so certainly I, not enough to, to stop you from getting one can't really fault yeah. that one um but okay so that's, that's the first one yeah. yeah, but like along the lines of uh, the whole centre cockpit thing too, um, it is quite difficult when you're underway to actually get to the back of the boat, like if you have a fishing rod out or if you want to do something with a hydrovane, you do need to go across like what we, we call it no man's land. It's just like 10 feet of just, you know, you need to um, clip on yeah. and yeah, exactly. It's like, it's difficult to go out there in hairy seas and just yeah, you just hang it. Like it's, yeah. there's not a lot of like there are there are handholds, but we haven't we we want one of the upgrades is solid lifelines that we want to put on and just to improve yeah, nice to having, have something sturdy because yeah. it's like when you're it's out there, unsafe. you have to climb over either go out and around the traveller track or climb over it, which is a bit of a no no. Um, and then you sort of yeah, there's just it's just where you sort of reach out as long as you can in one direction just before you let go of your one handhold you've got to get the next and it's, it's just a bit precarious out yeah. there um certainly not unsafe but it, yeah that's one definite downside of the center cockpit is if you have to go to the back yeah. but it's also an upside it is also an upside we do have a what we call a miranda as well or uh in well, the safety, from a safety point of view too like yeah that's true we are a lot further away from the water so that is also you a benefit. Are high and dry and in basically a foxhole Yes. And, and we've never had a drop of water from the sea make it to the scupper drain or the floor, um, which is yeah. quite, quite good when you're pounding or when you're getting pooped from the back or slapped on the side or whatever. Yeah. It's and nice to be in the foxhole. A lot of people have asked, they mm. say, um, you know, why don't you wear life jackets and clip on when you're in the cockpit under sail? And I'm not going to debate whether that's a good or a bad thing at all. Like, I'm, I'm sure. For the that record, we do. Yes, we, we often do, but it's because I feel so, like, yeah, for the, for the record, we, we often do, but sometimes, days. yes, but sometimes we don't, and that's purely because we feel so safe in the cockpit when the wind, you know, when the um, clear plastic on each side is down, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's dangerous at all. Um, I feel very safe in our cockpit. Yeah, you're not going to fly out. Exactly. It's a long, like, if you're... If you're caught out without a life jacket, you, you're grossly, like on our boat, you're grossly negligent because it takes so much to get up and over the rail. It would have to be, you'd have to be taking the piss and just not wearing it in like 30 or 40 knots before it gets bad enough that it would, you know, get that far into the boat 
um, yes. to, to take you out. Yeah. What else? Um, Upsides and downsides. Uh, so it's incredibly safe. That's that's a positive, I suppose. The exactly. yeah, cockpit yeah, area yeah. or the deck at least. Incredibly it's, safe. It's yeah. Really, yeah. And that's probably my ups. My first upside is that it's a really nice boat. That is to, for a, a short-handed crew, particularly a, a novice one. Not that I think we're novice anymore. Um, it's a safe, safe, solid, sure-footed boat that you can sail easily short-handed. Everything, every winch, almost every clutch is reachable from behind the wheel at the helm, including the main sheet and the travellers. You don't need to, like, once you, other than taking a reef, you don't need to really leave the helm to do anything, um, which is yeah, really that's good. good. Um, and you're also, like I said, in the bunker. Um, other things that I think great about her is a hull shape. I've... Uh, I often I take great joy in hearing stories about people slamming. We've never I've never once pound actually one time there's one time we managed to pound her and we were um, doing about eight knots to windward in 27 off Dominican Republic getting absolutely hammered and on that same day like the glass fell out of the clocks like we were just <laughs> it, like we were in full submarine mode <laughs> yes. um, and, but like she just. In three years, I think there's been one time where I was like, oh, that was a bit of a jar. But, you know, what was that? She just, yeah. um, she had, to, 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 to hijack a quote from John Kreshner, she has a lovely conversation with the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, that's the advantage of those shaped pools. You know, the yeah, double yeah. That, yeah. One glass, that one glass. Yeah, shape. exactly. That's why they are like that. Wouldn't trade that for anything. No amount of speed, like, unless... Yeah, actually, you know what? I wouldn't trade that for anything. Um, I like the cutter rig, although I could be convinced uh, that a Solent is up to snuff too. Um, so I very much like having the, you know, when it, when the when it's really getting dodgy, I, I you know, one of the great reliefs that you have is the knowledge that you can always put the brakes on. You can always shorten sail. You can always flatten yep. the boat out a little bit more and take some pressure off the wheel. It's going to be fine. We can keep shortening sail. We can keep shortening sail. <laughs> And the, the Tayana will sail very well with a staysail only in 40 knots of breeze. And you can reef, and I've got a hank on staysail that has got a reef in it as well. So we can use that as a storm try if we need it as well. Um, so we we have very, like, lots of options to reduce canvas down to NAFOL if it really gets bad. Uh, what else? She's got a skeg hung rudder encapsulated keel which i think is really i think is essential because and we've proven this yep. point you will hit something and you can't always pull out at the next port to fix it mm. um same for your rudder if you you know hit something and you have steering damage you know you're kind of screwed so an encapsulated uh, skeg hung rudder and encapsulated keel are awesome feathering prop that's a new addition but i'll never sell <laughs> oh that'll be the first <laughs> thing i do to any boat i own yeah, after you've experienced like a bit of um, bit of prop vibration, it's, yeah. it's definitely one of those things on the yeah. just the like just the drag reduction too. I was really surprised yeah, yeah. how much of a, a difference it makes. Slab reefing, I really like that. Uh, simple. She's just I feel like you're just going through every oh, yeah, every I'm list now, every feature. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the boat. <laughs> <Reading> the brochure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's All right. <laughs> so, just talking about like you guys. Um, 
obviously neither of you were sailors before you started this because the, the whole concept was a relatively new thing to you um what made what made you want to do it or what inspired you to do it because it's it's a very strange thing to all of a sudden just imagine and you know put all your life savings into that's true so i had sailed as a kid so which yeah. so I, I was a sailor for for a long time prior but he did racing sailing race. so he definitely knew the basics um but yeah. obviously never never living on a boat thing um yeah. and i remember that we were in uh so we were in melbourne we we met and we lived in melbourne and um i i said to adam i was like oh it'd be really really great to you know, just have a year off. Like I, I've been working at that stage. I've been working full time since I was like 16 years old. I think I was like 26 at the time. And I was like, oh man, it would just be great to have like a year off and just go traveling. And Adam was like, yeah, you know what? When I retire, like when I'm 50 or 60, like I would love to just buy a boat and just like sail around and just travel nonstop. And so we just kind of sat together and I think we're over a beer and we're like, you know what? We could totally combine the two things. And buy a sailboat when we're younger and travel for like a year, year and a half. Why can't we do it now? Exactly. Why can't we do it now? Um, so that's how our little dream came around. And uh, so my initial thing was, okay, well, I have absolutely no experience of sailing, and I also get seasick. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was all like jumping for joy, and then you know, after my few years wore off. I suddenly realised, oh, okay, maybe it's not such a good idea. Uh, so anyway, we uh, we joined a sailing team in Melbourne and hopped on there and got our roles and everything on this sailing team. And they were actually quite a competitive sailing team. There was no kind of chance for like, you know, just relaxing and cruising around. It was pretty much just like nonstop winching on the rails. Adam got almost the same experience as he did when he was younger. So he didn't learn as like he knew the basics uh, of like hoisting sails. It took me right back where I was when I raced as a yeah. kid, so I didn't kind of get the, the the breadth of experience I was hoping to get, like extra stuff. But it was still good exposure. Yeah. But you left out the part. Where, so Kiara is like a really tenacious and sort of detail-oriented person, whereas I'm a um, a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a hopeless optimist, and I'm a dreamer, and so I'm like. Always, you know, I'll talk about science, the cows come home, solve the world's problems and whatnot. But whereas, and Kiara will do the same. But once Kiara gets a tiger by the tail, she's, it's happening. Like, I will she's actually try and do it. So, <laughs> you know, within, so what was a, a dreamy, a dreamy conversation over beers for me was like, Kiara's executing the plan <laughs> the next day. So like, I get an email. Be careful with that. I get an email to work the next day with a spreadsheet and like a savings plan and a budget. And she's like, well, I figured we put this much away for two years. We could get just enough to buy a boat in this kind of price bracket. Yeah. What do you think? We need to, and I said, well, we need to start looking at boats. And then before you know it, we were just doing, just doing nothing for seven. Like we work, come home, do nothing, sail on the weekend, repeat for two years. You make it sound really boring. Well, it was really boring. Like, no, we we do more wholesome. Saving is boring. We, we, we would go out for walks, you know, like where we live. Attempt to nice learn town. surfing. Yeah, we, <laughs> free just stuff. Did, like, we just did lots of free stuff. Um, and that was that. And then before you knew it, like the, once the flights were booked uh, and our lease was not renewed for our apartment, it's like, well, oh, that's no point sticking around here. Yes. So we yeah. put our notice in and that was that. Well, how old were you when you um, when you actually left and you went to the states? 
I think we're, uh, I think I was 27, maybe he was 28. Yeah. Right. L l late 20s. Yeah. I feel like yeah, that's really everybody just has like a little bit of a midlife crisis, or maybe nowadays everyone just seems to be having a midlife crisis in their like late 20s. They realize, mm. oh, this is going to be my last chance to like go traveling, explore the world, live overseas before I really need to settle down and, you know, do the whole uh, house babies, good job yeah, thing. Exactly. <laughs> we just fell into that trap too. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's at that point where you realize that, you know, you do have to work and you do have to like pay bills and stuff. <laughs> and yeah. at that point where you're like, okay, let's just go and travel the world and forget about it all. Um, but exactly. the, yeah, it's funny. I was having a com my my initial plan uh, way way back was actually to move to Australia and to buy a sailboat in Australia. So kind of like a flip side of what you've done. Um, but yeah, I was, I was talking about it with a friend the other day, and I'm so glad I didn't do it because it would have been horrendous. Like at the time, I only had experience on like little twenty footers or eighteen footers. So me and my friend, we were looking at like a twenty four footer. We're like, oh my god, we can both live in this, and it only costs like five thousand pounds. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> And like we we were we were really close. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I I got offered a job like at the last minute, and I was like, oh no, I'll take this job instead. But yeah, it would have been such a horrendous experience. But yeah, that was that was about the same kind of time frame. Well, that, okay. well, that twenty four foot boat, you probably would have paid yeah. the same price as our forty two foot boat. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. I say, well, Australia is just so bad with taxing anything that's remotely fun. Plus, it's hard to get boats to Australia. And so the, yeah. the owners want to get their taxes back if they've had to pay them. And so everything, boats in Australia sort of attract, or any kind of boat in a reasonable bracket attracts a bit of a premium relative to other places in the world for the same boat. Right. Well, what to, what type of boats do you typically get over there? Do you get a lot of the production boats, like the Benetos and the Genos, or do you get like a lot of Asian um, manufactured yeah. boats? You actually get a lot of American-built boats, so like a... Um, right. Don't quote me, but I know you get a pretty substantial tax break um, hmm. if you if it's an American built boat. So like okay. or a Catalina or a, um, any of those kind of things. Right. So yeah, you get a lot of production. You get a lot of high end production coastal cruising sort of boats because if you can afford a boat in Australia, you probably have a fair bit of money. Um, unless yeah. it's a little a little racing boat or something you've got abroad and brought back, paid the tax. Hmm. But then you pay tax, a portion of the tax you pay is on the journey back too. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's really crazy. It's, uh, yeah, it, it does make us question whether to bring this boat back um, or whether to just, you know, have it in New Zealand. And mm -hmm. I think quite a few people who want to sail back to Australia, they just kind of stop in New Zealand and they go, okay, that's yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what? They, they tax you for taking a boat out of Australia as well? No, so like if you bought a boat in Europe and then you sailed, you know, direct, you brought it back and imported it, they would want mm. tax on the boat, uh, GS, GST, import tax, and then some of that, some one of those two taxes would have would be partially on the value of the, the transportation, i.e., the journey back. So they mm. would sort of do either an approximation of what it costs you to sail from Europe to here. Uh, and tax you for that. So, like the captain that you might have had to hire, the food that consumed on there, the petrol that you use, which is nuts. All of this stuff gets taxed yeah. for the transport to bring it over. I think if you take long enough, they they no longer do that. 
I think if it's like a multi-year sort of circumnavigation and it's your home, they might. I think there's a there's a loophole there. But like it, it just Crazy. it goes to show that they will not. They don't miss anything. They'll they'll get their power yeah. Well, I mean, to, to be honest, Spain is quite similar to that. So if you if you like if you're in the states and you bought a boat over from the states into Spain, you would pay VAT, obviously, which is like twenty one percent, I think, in Spain. You pay import tax, which I I'm not sure exactly what import tax is. But then also, if you want to register the boat in Spain, you have to pay like a matriculation tax, which is like thirteen oh percent. So um, yeah, bad. you get you get in. Well into the forties, like into, and that's like a used boat that you'd be bringing in as well. That wouldn't even be an older boat. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's not just Australia. Yeah. Are there many? Yeah, there's quite a lot, and I do not understand why. Yeah, but to, you know what? Like a, a vast, a vast amount of Spanish people buy a boat, and they um, uh, they just register in a different country because they have a system over here as well, which is like an MOT style system. Um, and you have to like have all the life raft serviced, and that industry is like completely fiddled because they know all Spanish folks have to have life raft serviced every three years. So yeah, like a three year life raft service will cost like six six hundred seven hundred euros at a minimum. And uh, yeah, in order to pass the MOT, you have to do that. Yeah, I was having a conversation with my friend um, like uh, probably a couple of months ago. So he he was in a position where. He was either going to continue doing the MOT. To, I don't know the real name of it, but let's just say it's called an MOT. He was either going to continue to have his boat registered in Spain and do the MOTs, or he was going to um, register, I think it was in Poland or something like that, and did the calculation just to get it past its MOT, like to do the test, to get everything renewed, to do the life rafts, all that type of stuff. It would cost him, I think it was like 3,000 euros. What? Yeah, that was to continue it. That's, so that's not like bringing a new boat in. <laughs> that's just to continue it. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of people, like, when that time is up where it's like, okay, we need to do this other test and then you've got to do all this other stuff, it's just like, oh, forget it, just stick it on, like, a Belgian flag or something like that. Oh, wow. um, Did he end yeah, up in the like, Uh No, I don't, I actually, I haven't caught up with him since. I don't know what he's doing. But, yeah, the, the, I think the last conversation I had with him was he would need to get, He's basically getting a brand new life raft because you can get a new one for a thousand or you can get your old one serviced for 700. So it's like, oh, who's going to get a brand okay. new life raft? Um, he would have had to have got a new VHF because his VHF was too old. Um, he had to get complete new life jackets. Yeah, yeah. So he had to get like six new life jackets. Um, and I, thought, I think at that point he was just like, yeah, I'm just not doing this now. It's just getting ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, it's big, big picture stuff that they, they miss out on a little bit. Same as Australia. Like they could be the industry could be like ten times the size if they just relaxed on yeah. some of that stupid stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. And the, yeah. the border, even checking in and out, like the border protection are I've never once heard somebody having a pleasant experience trying to bring a boat. Even at, yeah. as a visitor coming in mm. with I've never once heard a story of anyone sailing there and, and saying they were so great to deal with. <laughs> Even yeah. Australians, they're like, I, I, they were the worst I've ever dealt with, which is a, a bit yeah. unfortunate because you know, I look forward to sailing home. That's like the finish line for us, not that we're going to finish. And it sucks mm. to think that you're going to be greeted with sort of... Where have you come from? Unwelcoming, <laughs> an unwelcoming attitude. Yeah, like a bit of hostility somewhat. Yeah. 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 Even if we're from there, I mean... It's just, and it's not really our way. Like it's a bit. It's damn right, I'm Australian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. It's you know I was thinking about this before because like in in Spain they are 
they are quite strict. You've got a um, like a, a water police force as, as such. No, they're not because they're on land as well. But it's called the Guardia Civil, and they're pretty strict. And they do make up some stuff sometimes. It's very dependent on who you speak to. Um, oh, sounds like Grenada. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was like, I was just, you know, pottering around their anchorage before, and I was like, there's just so many opportunities that some countries are missing. And um, I think they see people that live on boats kind of like gypsies in a way, or yeah. travellers, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you have a field and all of a sudden all the travellers turn around, oh, the field's been taken over. But I think some countries think that about the anchorages, but it's not the case. That if, it's like, if, you, if you went out had a look at the boats in this anchorage now, you'd be clocking up the 10 million mark that easily. These people have got cash. Do you know what I mean? yeah. So it's like, why not do a decent dinky dog? You know, why, why not be nice to them when they turn up and, you know, offer them something? After, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Have a cert, like create an industry, have some services. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah but Greece have done really well with that. That's, I mean, Greece is like really set up for it. Like, you know, you've got towns and villages there that are completely dependent on cruisers coming in and spending time um, you know, buying stuff from the cafes and the restaurants. So it works. Greece, Greece approved it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I think uh, yeah. to Martin it was, um, we were saying, uh, you know, I think it might have been hurricane season or off season or, you know, probably during COVID times or something. Um, and we said, oh, I bet they're really glad that, you know, the cruisers are here because, you know, we're helping out with the tourism industry. And I think mm. it was a person I was saying, uh, a local person who was just working in uh, the petrol store, and uh, and they were like, oh, yeah, cruisers don't really spend money though. Pretty frugal bunch. They all, you know, like cooking. <laughs> they they don't need to go out. They have like the, the water right next to them that they swim in. They just don't spend any money on shore. So there is that argument yeah. as well. <laughs> but the yeah, rocks, I suppose. Yeah, like, they, they often price themselves out of the market. Like you look at true. you look at like Saint Martin, perfect example. Like there's. Uh, a few bars there that have a great happy hour, uh, or used to. And that is where every cruiser in the bay, and we're talking hundreds of boats, would be. And so, like, that's you, you just have to put yourself in the right spot. And, like, yeah. there's ample opportunity to do that. But they want to serve, like, 13 or $18 hamburgers and, and yeah. poutine chips and all these fancy things that we're all trying to get away from. It's like keep it simple, mate. Just put on a sausage sizzle and a beer for a dollar, and I will come down there with twenty bucks. I will be there with twenty bucks every day, stuffing my face with sausages and beer. And from but what I hear, know. from what I hear, Greece is uh, fairly cheap as well, which is probably why a lot of the cruisers are like, "Yes, cheap beer, cheap, cheap, awesome Greek food, fantastic." One of the major yeah, I can't, I can't deny any of these things. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice to go somewhere though for a change that didn't rely on. Um, Cruises at all, like that's one one of my first impressions about Portugal, um, having been in the Caribbean for so long, was that nobody cared that we were on a sailboat. Everyone was lovely. They were so happy to see someone from anywhere. They're some of the most lovely people we've come across today. But they didn't need us at all. And the, the exchange or the relationship was just drastically different. Like you didn't feel like somebody's wondering how they can get a dime out of you. If they say, how are you? They're not trying to sell you something or ask you, you want a taxi or any of that stuff. It's genuinely like, how are you? What's going on? Yeah. They want to talk, um, which is yeah. not uncommon in the Caribbean, but um, it was there, It was just drastically different to be yeah. in a place that has its own dairy and beef and pork and imports, exports, tourists from all over the world, 
it's not a, a grotty yachty kind of place. It's it's its own thing. They weren't solely reliant yeah. on the tourism industry for income into the into the country. They had so yeah. many other revenues, which is nice. I mean, after like leaving the Caribbean and coming to the Azores, I mean, I know you've got like a few options. I mean, you you could go into the Meds, which is probably one option. I think the other option is basically going back to the Caribbean. If you did go back over that way, would you go over? The, would you go back over that way and then make a plan from there, or could you be tempted to just go and do the Caribbean again? Um, we would we Tough would question. probably go back. I don't think I'd do. I wouldn't do the Lesser Antilles again, not because I don't want to, but because there's so much other things to see um mm. i would probably do if we went back now that we're in this corner like the issue we have at the moment is that we've left our run too late exploring the yeah. and so the choices we're faced with are winter over somewhere or go back and come back again or go back and let it go for a, another life or something like that so if i think if i went back i'd probably go back and come back here again and time my run a little bit sooner and achieve a lot more. Um, mm. So to answer your question, no. If I went back to the Caribbean, I would probably make, well, we would probably make straight for... I'm coming with you. Let you are, <laughs> you're um, <laughs> or something, you know, the, more the western, southern and western circuit of the Caribbean yeah. and the like Bahamas. We really, we, we didn't do everything by any means, but we really hammered those lesser Antilles for, you know, most of our time. Yeah. Our plans do change incredibly often, um, but I think that sounds like a more appealing option to us right now is to probably, we know that we left it too late and we know that wintering over somewhere is genuinely like wintering, like it's going to be cold. Um, and even just this last week in UK has taught us a lesson that we are probably not as prepared for the cold as we thought we were. So I think we're definitely thinking about just chasing the summer again, <laughs> just avoiding winter for longer. <laughs> I just really want to keep our momentum up, you know, like the the setting off yeah. with a dream of sailing around the world in 18 months and then having it all come crashing down around us and then having a great time, my I am, <laughs> sailing around like the Caribbean for three years, sort of feeling, and we're, we're, we're pretty hard on ourselves. Like we're both ha have quite high expectations of ourselves. And so for us, that was a failure. Like we were not achieving what we set out to do. And now we, we've got traction and we're making momentum and we've, I, just, I don't want to stop. I don't want to get bogged down again in the weeds while I've, while I've got momentum. Um, while our boat is fully functional, yeah, we will keep it going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've done your first ocean crossing, so, you know, just, just keep it up, keep on this track. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, like winterizing the boat at this stage and like getting it on the hard or getting it you know on a winter mooring it would just be like it would be such a reversal yeah. you've come over here on a high do you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. why would you go winterize your boat then? And then no, let's put it on the hard. Months, yeah. yeah it would be such a shame yeah so i think yeah that I think so, yeah i i imagine you'll be heading towards the canaries in like november i think that's probably what you'll be doing <laughs> Uh, I think you I might think be right. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, right. So we'll, we'll draw it to a conclusion, but I've just got like one final question because I I am a massive Star Wars fan and a Star Trek fan, and you decided <laughs> to name your boat after the Millennium Falcon. Uh, what, who is the Star Wars fan out of the two? Of you? You're wearing a T-shirt that says "nerd," so I'm guessing it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Star Wars fan. I'm a Star Trek fan. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Big giveaway there. Big actually, giveaway. Yeah. We, neither of us deserves credit for the name, actually. I remember when we were, we, we took a brief, um, like once we sold everything up before we went back to, sorry, before we went to move to the U.S. or got on the plane to the U.S. to buy the boat and do all of that. We did a bit of a, so I'm from the West Coast in Perth. Uh, we did a trip back to see my family just before we left off. And uh, I remember sitting around with all my old schoolmates and you know, friends I've had for my life, like my whole life, telling them what we were going to do and trying to think of things to name the boat. And all the, and what, yeah, I, I deserve this shirt for sure, saying nerd, um, as do my friends. And uh, we were all trying to figure out what to call it and the, you know, the usual stuff, Serenity, Enterprise, Voyager 1 or you know, yeah. all those things. That yeah, yeah. And, uh, and my my friend Sarah, who's, um, she, she's just one of those really clever people, but it's quite softly spoken. Um, she was sat sort of at the back of the room and just amongst all the laughing and the chatter, she just very meekly sort of said, Millennial Falcon, and everyone stopped. Everyone stopped and looked around <laughs> and just, Fell off their chairs. I loved it. it loved so it. And, that, and then we were like, all right, well, that's definitely number one. Yeah. So we sat on it for a few days and then we like floated <laughs> it past a few other people and it got the same response. Bit of a and, chuckle. And we still chuckle about it to, <laughs> to this day. And, uh, and yeah, that was that was it. So we, yeah. we so don't deserve credit. For in it. answer to your question, definitely Adam. Adam okay. introduced me to the Star Wars uh, movies and et cetera, et cetera, all of that. Definitely well, Adam is the nerd. Although when Bermuda Radio asks me to spell it phonetically at 2 a.m. in the morning, 30 miles offshore, I very much regret our choice of name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I suppose simpler one might be easier at that point. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, well, well listen, thanks so much for taking the time to um, to speak to us. And, uh, yeah, I, th I think everyone's going to really enjoy listening to your story and a, and a bit more about your background, so I really appreciate it. And, yeah, best of luck with whichever crossing is you, you choose to do, most likely the Canaries, I, I think. So, yeah, good luck with it. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you so much. We'll, it was uh, lovely to chat yeah. with you. Thank you for having us, and we'll, uh, we'll absolutely keep in touch. And if we, if we make it inside, that's something.